text we'll be looking at is printed in your bulletin this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 38. We're beginning a new series, uh, something that I've never done before. And uh, if any week goes like this week, probably we'll never do again. Um, this uh, week, on Thursday of this week, the World Drug Report was published in Vienna, and the statistics that they put out was uh, devastating, actually. The uh, number of people taking opioids worldwide is up 56%. Um, global use of cocaine is up 30%. Overdoses now in the U.S. are uh, classified pretty much across the board as an epidemic proportion. Uh, we lost more people last year to an overdose than the entire Vietnam War combined together. And, of course, since we want to be first, North America has the highest concentration of opioid users in the world. If that were not enough, we throw in the alcohol-related deaths, and we lost over 88,000 people last year uh, due to alcohol-related deaths. It cost this country alone $250 billion approximately because of alcohol misuse. And in 2012, 3.3 million deaths were related to alcohol consumption. Uh, these stats, by the way, could just go on and on and on, but uh, this is more than just stats for me. It's personal. Why do I say that? Um, it's not my business to tell my kids stories. Um, you could ask them. They'd be happy to talk to you about it. Um, more than... There are more of us, meaning family members of addicts, than there are addicts. I am the father of two addicts. More people are struggling with their addicts than addicts are struggling with addiction. If the numbers are right, and I suspect that they're probably higher than we know, 28% of our country, 28% of the people that you know, struggle with addiction. I'm just going to go out on a limb here, and I'll say everyone here has been impacted by this issue um, whether we realize it or not. And it really brings us to our text. Look at Psalm 38 this morning as we look at verses 1 through 15. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me, and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no help in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds and my strength fails me. Even the light has gone out from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. I'm like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. Let's pray together. Father, in the face of overwhelming numbers, and even more than that, in the face of tears and heartache, we come to you and Father, we pray that you would be with us, that you would be quick to answer, that you would meet us in this place, for all of us need to see and hear from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's Thanksgiving Day, a day that really we uh, as a family cannot forget. My son had checked himself into rehab earlier that week, and we were planning 
uh, to go and spend the day with him. Uh, I will spare you all the gory details, really, because it's not my story to tell. We ended up leaving early that day uh, from this get-together because he really needed to go to bed. I doubt if you were to talk to him, he remembers uh, much of that day, and I know for a fact he doesn't really remember what he told us, uh, and that was the real reason he was in rehab. We knew there were issues. Uh, We thought that it was his drinking, um, but what he told us was something even much worse. I remember driving home and, and looking at one another and finally saying, he's an addict. Uh, All the pieces that we had been dealing with for years had finally sort of coalesced. I will tell you this, we never did have Thanksgiving. Um, Instead, we spent the night weeping. What I do remember is just an overwhelming powerlessness to fix him, to make him stop, um, to rid him of this issue, or maybe better than that, to help him really in any way. And it brings us to this psalm. It's not a happy psalm by any stretch of the imagination. It's not one that you would probably naturally run to for encouragement. But I can tell you the reality of where David is. Just the nature of where he's been when he writes this psalm. David had been on top of the world like no other before him. If you know the story, he is the runt of his family, of His brothers is the best way to tell you. Um, Any of his other brothers would have been a better choice. His dad knew it. His brothers knew it. Um, But, as the story goes, he is anointed king of Israel. Now, nobody recognizes this. He's sort of underneath the surface and underneath the story until the giant shows up. On that day, David was nothing but an errand boy delivering lunch to his brothers. But he heard the taunts of Goliath, and he took his slingshot, and a hero was born. Then we come to Psalm 38. That was where David had been, and I can tell you where he is when he writes this psalm. Just listen to the language that is used here. Your arrows have pierced me. Your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones. My guilt is overwhelming like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. Writers have tried to imagine what brought this on. We have no idea really the cause of why David wrote this. What pushed him to this place and this point when he could say, I am like the deaf who cannot hear, like the moot who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. What pushed him to this place? It could be the guilt from Bathsheba. If you know about that story, it's entirely different from the Goliath one. What you find there is lies and murder to cover up what David had done. The pain that he caused his wife, the shame that actually encompassed not only him, but all of those around him. He lost, entirely lost his reputation as being this glorious hero. And nothing he could do could take that back. As a result of that, his son dies, death, from the only son he had from Bathsheba. Some of you know that there's nothing that would push a parent down like that. Maybe it's another battle that he waged. Ishbi Gibbonab, actually. David was a giant killer by this time, 
Um, and yet, if you know anything about that story, he enters that battle and gets completely stomped is the only description of it. So bad that his men actually tell him, you can't fight anymore. You're too old, and you're too weak, and you're too feeble. David, when he writes this psalm, he discovers that he is entirely powerless. He has no power over people, circumstances, and things. And it's not just David, by the way. It's everywhere in the Bible. Moses, when he encounters a burning bush, suddenly he discovers that he has no power uh, he can't even conceive of what he's looking at. Paul is struck blind in the New Testament. Throughout the stories of Jesus, what you see is cripples, blind men, Samaritan women, all have this one thing in common. And that's this, that they meet Jesus in this position, this condition of being without power. Jesus, when he's brought before Pilate, and Pilate says to him, don't you know I have the power? And Jesus' response is, you have no power other than what the Father gives you. What's really sad about Pilate's story is this. In the end, due to peer pressure, pressure from the crowds, he does, ends up doing exactly what he doesn't want to do. It's so sad, and yet he's completely without power even before the ones that he's supposed to rule over. Most of us never want to embrace this idea of powerlessness, of being without power. We deny it in our own lives through education. We tell ourselves this, if I was smart enough, I can beat this. If I had enough resources, I could beat this. If I was determined enough, enough determination, if my will was strong enough, I can make this happen. When a crisis comes, we think, I can beat this head on. When those don't work, normally we fall back to some form of manipulation. I will do this if you will do that. Look, I will get, we've done this, I will give you a car if you'll stop using. I know that sounds insane, and it really is insane. Money, if I had more money, more money to throw at this, I could fix it. There's so many ways... It is endless the number of ways that we attempt to maintain, regain power that we think we have. One writer said this, it's really sad and it's ultimately silly. You can imagine David's ride on his way down to writing Psalm 38 probably did all of these. I know I have. There's a quote in the front of your bulletin from Michael J. Fox he describes his own life and his own situation. He says this, it's all about control. Control is illusory. No matter what university you go to, no matter what degree you hold, if your goal is to become the master of your own destiny, you have more to learn. Parkinson's is a perfect metaphor for lack of control. Every unwanted movement in my hand or arm, every twitch I can't anticipate or arrest is a reminder that even in the domain of my own being, I'm not calling the shots. I tried to exert control by drinking myself to a place of indifference, which just exasperated the sense of miserable hopelessness. Look, even as I begin this series, I know that some of you here, it's not addiction that is your issue at all. Uh, you rarely have contact, probably marginal contact with this issue, 
But for Hugh, it might be and probably is an illness. The reality that it comes in and suddenly you have no control or a job uh, that suddenly you have no control or an employer, something in your life that you can't make right. For some of you, it's not external at all, but instead it's something internal within you that really you can't change a desire, a passion, an attraction that you cannot get control of. The good news for you this morning is this. You can't meet God without that. That There's no place that you find in Christianity where suddenly God, you can find Him or actually meet Him or engage Him without this idea of being without power. It doesn't happen. There's a reason why in every recovery movement, This is called the first step. Embracing this. Not giving lip service to it. This idea of being completely without power. The reason for it is simply this, and this is hard to even say, is that God requires unconditional surrender. Some of us fight this idea of being powerless with everything that we have. You simply can't think of spirituality. You certainly can't think of Christianity It's just needing a little help, needing a little insight, needing a little organization, a little determination, a little discipline. Some of you here, and we were here at one time, think, because your kids are very little, that I can control them. Um, That, my friends, is an illusion, I can promise you. This step, uh, this first step, is about being honest. It really is about being human. What do I mean by it? It's embracing the fact that you're not God. That you do not control people. You don't control places. And you don't control things. One writer said this. The problem with this really is this. The very hardest thing to give is in. And that's exactly what this is about. God bringing you to the place where you finally, ultimately give in. It's not just powerlessness that you see here. It's also an unmanageability is the best description. Actually, it's actually what the step says. Uh, Unmanageable is that your life becomes this way. Giving so much attention to this problem, so much attention to this other person, so much attention to this issue, that your own life begins to crumble. That suddenly your mind and your body are in completely different places I can just tell you, at least in my own life, worry dominated my every thought. I was surviving, well, sort of, I I guess. I was probably, at the worst of this, getting about two hours sleep a night. I was trying to regulate his every move. We spied on him. I spied on him. Waited for him to get home. Why, I'm still not sure. Um, We yelled, we threatened, we put on restriction, we take things away, we give things, we did everything. You name it, we did it. And the reality is he still used. And later, when he finally got sober, he would tell us that none of that stuff mattered. The reality is I could manage him. If I could manage him, that was one thing, but I really couldn't manage myself. The worry, the stress, the strain, overwhelming and uncontrollable. Just look at this psalm again, and what you find is David is actually echoing those very same sentiments. 
I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feebly, utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. This is how David describes his life. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not a description of living at all. It might be surviving, but he has no life as he describes it at this point in time. It doesn't sound like David is managing his life so well. But there is relief, and we'll get more into this in the coming weeks. But I want you to look at verses 1 and verse 15. David sandwiches, puts barriers, walls. He sort of hedges in his grief, his powerlessness, and his unmanageability with these words. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. And then 15, Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. If David is to find any relief, he has to look outside himself. He has to look at one who can manage both people, places, and things. One who has ultimately all power to control both the beginning and the ending and anything that happens in between. And David has to rest and trust that that is the case. In fact, that is the only trust and rest that David will find. There are two buildings in New York City. One, if you go on Fifth Avenue, is the RCA building. Um, In the foyer of that building is a perfect, muscular, well-proportioned, powerful statue of Atlas. Uh, If you've ever been to New York, this is unmistakable to see the statue. As you look at him, what you realize is his legs are bent and that he's struggling to stand with the weight of his world. Actually, the world is on his shoulders. And basically all of this statue sort of communicates is that he's straining under this weight. On the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral. Inside, behind the altar, is a statue of Jesus, and he's about eight or nine years old, we suppose. With no effort at all, Jesus is holding the entire world in his right hand. That's a great description of two different ways to live. Which way do you want to live? Straining under the weight of the world that you are powerless to control. And I would also maintain carrying what is not yours to carry. Or trusting that your Jesus holds it all. That you can rest in Him. That you can rely on Him and depend on on Him to carry what you cannot. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your great love and mercy that for many of us, the notion of being without power, being without control, is the very thing that we fight most vehemently against. And yet, it is the very thing that is necessary if we're to meet with You. We cannot maintain our own control and give you control. But the reality is our control is just an illusion. It's just a trick that we play ourselves. Father, that you be gracious to us this morning that in whatever way necessary that you would be pleased to bring us to that point that we might know you. In the name of Jesus we pray.
Amen.